Amen. All right, 2 Corinthians 6, 16 through 18. What agreement, Paul says, has the temple of God, that's the church, with idols? For we are the temple of the living God. As God said, I will make my dwelling among them and walk among them, and I will be their God, and they shall be my people. Therefore, go out from their midst and be separate from them, says the Lord, and touch no unclean thing. Then I will welcome you, and I will be a father to you, and you shall be sons and daughters to me, says the Lord Almighty. As I said before, in the weeks to come, we're going to attempt to gain an overview of the Bible's teaching on the work of the Holy Spirit in order to understand more fully what kind of activities have been especially delegated by the Spirit of God. Uh, to the Spirit of God. We may define the work of the Spirit as follows. The work of the Holy Spirit is to manifest the active presence of God in the world and especially in the church. This definition indicates that the Holy Spirit is a member of the Trinity whom the Scripture most often represents as being present to do God's work in the world. Although this is true to some extent throughout the Bible, it's particularly true in the New Covenant age. In the Old Testament, the presence of God was many times manifested in the glory of God and in theophanies. And in the Gospels, Jesus himself manifested the presence of God among men. That's why he was called Emmanuel, God with us. But after Jesus ascended into heaven and continuing through the entire church age, the Holy Spirit is now the primary manifestation of the presence of the Trinity among us. He is the one who is most prominently present with us now. Even in the Old Testament, it was predicted that the presence of the Holy Spirit would bring abundant blessings from God. Isaiah 44 and 3, For I will pour water on the thirsty land and streams on dry ground. I will pour my Spirit upon your offspring and blessings on your descendants. Several prophecies in the Old Testament predicted a time when the Holy Spirit would come in greater fullness, a time when God would make a new covenant with his people, Ezekiel 36, 26 through 28. And I will give you a new heart and a new spirit I will put within you, and I will remove the heart of stone from your flesh, uh, from your flesh and give you a heart of flesh. By the way, I pray that prayer every night over my family and my extended family and the ones that I want to see saved. And I will put my spirit within you and cause you to walk in my statutes and be careful to obey my rules. You shall dwell in the land that I gave to your fathers and you shall be my people and I will be your God. Now the question becomes, in what specific ways does the Holy Spirit bring God's blessings? Well, in the following weeks, we're going to classify and examine uh, uh, one, two, three, four, five aspects. <laughs> I put four, but there's five, right? There's five aspects of the Holy Spirit to bring the evidence of God's presence and to bless. One is that we're going to be looking at today, the Holy Spirit indwells. The second one is the Holy Spirit purifies. The third one is the Holy Spirit unifies. The fourth one is the Holy Spirit infills, and we're talking there about the baptism in the Holy Spirit. And the, third, the last one, which I think we'll spend quite a bit of time on talking about the gifts, is the Holy Spirit empowers. All right? So today, we want to look at the, how the Holy Spirit indwells. 2 Corinthians 6, 16 through 18, we are the temple of the living God, I will make my dwelling among them and walk among them. I will be their God and they shall be my people. So the first thing we're going to look at is the importance of being born of the Spirit. The first thing we want to look at is that the Bible describes the church as being the temple of God. We don't have really temples today, but uh, I mean, we do in other parts of the world, but the bottom line, what was a temple? A temple was a place 
where the presence of whatever God you were looking for manifested. Now, we know that there's only one God, right, in three persons, God the Father, God the Son, God the Holy Spirit. We call it the Trinity, the three in one. Now, we don't have a temple. They say, well, the church is the temple. Well, this building is not the temple, but you're right. The church is the temple, but the church is not a building. It's not made with wood and stone. The church is made with flesh and blood. We are the temple of the living God. The church is the house of God. It's the place where God dwells or resides. Good to have you back, Paul. I appreciate that, right? We often think of the church as a building where people gather. While that can be one definition of what a church is, if we mean that the building is a place that we dedicated to God, however, biblically, the church is the people of God who have been born of the Spirit of God. Because you can be a people and not be born of the Spirit. You can come to church and not be a house of God, not be a place where the Spirit of God resides because what makes you part of the house of God and what makes you part of the temple of God is that you have been born of the Spirit. And that's what we want to look at today. John 3, 3 through 8, Jesus said, Truly I say to you, unless one is born anew or born again, he cannot see the kingdom of God. Nicodemus, a teacher of the Pharisees at that particular time, very knowledgeable man, knowledgeable in the Scriptures, said to Jesus, How can a man be born when he is old? Can he enter a second time into his mother's womb and be born? <laughs> Jesus answered him, Truly, truly, I say to you, unless one is born of water and the Spirit, he cannot enter the kingdom of God. That which is born of the flesh is flesh. Now, how many of you know that when you're born, when you have a baby that's being delivered, they're carried in a water sack, what, do you, what happens when the water sack bursts? Get me to the hospital now because this baby is being born, right? And that which is born of the Spirit is spirit. Do not marvel that I say to you, you must be born again. The wind blows where it wishes and you hear its sound, but you do not know where it comes from or where it goes. So it is with everyone who is born of the Spirit. Jesus is telling Nicodemus that the way to enter into the kingdom of God, the way to experience a relationship with God is one must be born of the Spirit. As I said before, we are all born of water. We are all born naturally. Jesus goes on to liken the natural birth of people into the world with the necessity of being born into the spiritual realm. In order to experience the kingdom, one must be born again, which Jesus says is to be born of the Spirit. How does that take place? The Bible says that whoever calls upon the name of the Lord Jesus Christ shall be saved. We could say it this way. Whoever calls upon the name of the Lord Jesus Christ shall be born again. To understand that, we must know that every person born on this planet comes from one couple, one man. Adam. Reminds me of this little boy that went to his dad and said, Dad, where do we come from? And he said, well, a long time ago in the book of Genesis, uh, you know, there was Adam and there was Eve and God blessed them. God created them. God blessed them and they came and they began to multiply and everybody from the planet came from these men and women that God created, this man and woman, Adam and Eve. And he said, thanks, Dad. And he goes to his mother and said, Mom, where did we come from? And he said, well, there used to be this one-celled amoeba and this one-celled amoeba, it began to multiply and then all of a sudden it became a, a, a little lizard and then it became an ape and then all of a sudden apes turned into humans and he said dad he said when uh, why did you tell me that we came from uh, um, Adam and Eve true men he said mom says that we came from apes and he said well son she's talking about her side of the family 
<laughs> to understand what it means to be saved, we must know that every person born on this planet, according to the Bible, comes from one man, one woman, Adam and Eve. Adam was given the responsibility to watch over this planet. Adam and Eve were created by God without fault. They were given the responsibility to care for this world and were only given one commandment by God. He said, man, I wish, I wish, I think I could have done that. Did you know that when they first started creating cars, when Ford started building cars, there were only two cars, two, in the whole state of New Jersey? And did you know they got into an accident? There is only one commandment. That's true. There's only one commandment, and they were not to eat from the tree of the knowledge of good and evil. Well, guess what they did? They ate. Genesis 2, 15 through 17, the Lord God took the man, put him in the Garden of Eden to work it and keep it. And the Lord God commanded man, saying, you may surely eat of every tree of the garden, but of the tree of the knowledge of good and evil you shall not eat, for in the day that you eat of it you shall surely die. Now, one of the things that we say all the time, the Bible says, let God be true and every man a liar. God's word is true. He's not a man that he should lie. Amen? When God said something, you can take it to the bank. You can take it to the bank when he said, these are the consequences of your mistakes, but you can also take it to the bank when he says, if you do this, I will bless you. Yeah. Romans 5 and 12 says, therefore, just as sin came into the world through one man and death through sin, so death spread to all men because all have sin. We are included in that scripture. Romans 3.23, for all have sinned and fallen short of the glory of God. We've missed the mark. We are not what God created us to be. Every last one of us falls in this camp. We have all sinned and fallen short of God. What's the problem with that? The wages of sin is death. Sin actually means, literally means to miss the mark. But let me stop here. A lot of people, they want Jesus, but they don't want to repent of their sin. They just want Jesus to, to, to come into their life not realizing that in order to embrace Jesus, you have to recognize that you're lost and you're a sinner and it's primarily because you're in a place where you have sinned against God. In order to experience a Savior, you have to realize you need something to be saved from. For God so loved the world, He gave His only begotten Son that whoever believed in Him should not perish. Without God, I'm perishing. Without God, I'm lost. Without God, my destiny is hell. But God doesn't want me to go to hell. He loved me so much that he gave his son Jesus. He sent his son Jesus Christ to die for us, who absolutely did not deserve to die because he had no sin. But he didn't die because we took his life. The Bible says, no one takes my life. I lay it down of my own accord. Why does he lay it down? He that knew no sin became sin for us that we might become the righteousness of God in Christ Jesus, right? Jesus said, I am the way, the truth, and the life in John 14 and 6. No one comes to the Father except through me. Romans 10, 9 and 10, if you confess with your mouth that Jesus is Lord and believe in your heart that the work that he did on the cross of Calvary, that God raised him from the dead, if you recognize that you're a sinner and you call out upon Jesus Christ and recognize that he died for your sin so that you might be saved, you shall be saved. For with the heart one believes and is justified, and with the mouth one confesses and is saved. So we talked about being born again. What happens when I'm born again? Second thing, part of that first point is indwelt by the Spirit. 
indwelt by the Spirit. That brings us to the topic to the day, for the day. When you are born again, your sins are forgiven. He casts your sins as far as the east is from the west. Never the two shall meet. They're not going to go around and meet together on the other side of the planet. They go east, west, your sins are gone. And you are made and declared righteous and declared holy, not because of anything you did. For by grace are you saved through faith, that not of yourselves, it is a gift of God, not of works, lest any man should boast. Not because of any work you did, but because of the work that Jesus did on our behalf. As wonderful as this is, and is awesome, it's incredible, it is so uh, uh, incredibly, like T.R. says, God is awesome. The purpose of this, of our sins being forgiven and being made holy, is so that God himself, by means of the Holy Spirit, his presence could move in to the magnificent temple made without hands, to a temple made by God himself, which is you and I. God moved out of the temple that was in Jerusalem, a temple made with hands, and he moved out of that temple. Remember, the veil was rent from the top to the bottom. It wasn't man that broke that, uh, rent that veil. It was God who rent the veil through the work that Jesus did on the cross of Calvary. And now God was free to come out and take up residence in his people. 2 Corinthians 5, 17, because of that, if anyone is in Christ, he is a new creation. The old has passed away. The new has come. 1 Corinthians 3, 16 and 17, do you not know that you are God's temple and God's spirit dwells in you? oh, I thought I was just a church member. If you've been born again, you're a lot more than just a church member. You are a member of the body of Christ and the Spirit of God lives inside of you. If anyone destroys God's temple, God will destroy him for God's temple is holy and you are that temple. 2 Corinthians 6.16, we are the temple of the living God as God said, I will make my dwelling among them and walk among them and I will be their God and they shall be my people. Kenneth Hagin, I was reading this, I, I, I pulled this quote out because I liked, I liked what he said. God doesn't live in a building made with hands. He lives and dwells in us through the power of the Holy Spirit. Relatively few Christians are really conscious of God in them dwelling in their hearts and bodies as his temple. If men and women were conscious of God in them and his temple, as his temple, they wouldn't talk and act as they sometimes do. Don't look around. Just keep your eyes straight ahead. Some Christians constantly talk about their lack of power and their lack of ability. But if they realize that God is in them, they would know there is nothing impossible to them. Instead of believing what the Bible says, too many believers believe only what they feel. For example, when people are born again, they feel wonderful, but many times later they will say, I had a marvelous experience when I was saved, but God must have left me because I don't feel now as I did then. However, Jesus said that he, the Holy Spirit, may abide with you forever. The Holy Spirit didn't come as a guest to stay for just a few days. He didn't come on a vacation to dwell inside of you for just a short time. He came to dwell in you, to be at home in you forever. The Holy Spirit, Spirit's home in this life is in your body, God's temple. Turn with me and look to somebody and say, God's Spirit lives in you. If not, He will. 1 John 4 and 4, little children, you are from God and have overcome 
them. Another scripture, you have overcome the world. For greater is he who is in you than he who is in the world. You know who lives inside of you. Why do you get afraid of the enemy? Now, you know why we're afraid of the enemy? Because we believe the enemy's report. Right? Don't look at the enemy. Look at God. The enemy is scary if you, if you don't have God on your side. It's like, I'm going up against a bully, and that bully looks pretty tough. But turn around, and the, the, the person that's on your side is a whole lot bigger than the person that's on that side. And he's basically saying, I got you covered. He that dwelleth in the secret place of the Most High shall abide in the shadow of the Almighty, and I will say to the Lord, my refuge, my fortress, my God, in whom I trust. Or sometimes he'll say, go ahead and pick a fight with them because I want to show you it's not about you, it's about me. Galatians 2.20, I have been crucified with Christ. It is no longer I who live, but Christ who lives in me. Christ lives inside of you. And the life I now live in the flesh, I live by faith in the Son of God who loved me and gave himself for me. Romans 8, 9 through 11. You who, however, are not in the flesh but in the Spirit, if in fact the Spirit of God dwells in you. Anyone who does not have the Spirit of Christ does not belong to him. But wait a minute. I go to church. I've been to Second Baptist Church, First Baptist Church, and if they had a Third Baptist Church, I'd have gone there too. I'm on every roll in town. If I go to another church, I call and I get my membership transferred and I go to this another church. I'm, I'm a member of the church roll. But if the Spirit of God does not indwell you, then you do not belong to Him. Some of you are going down to the bar and taking the Holy Spirit with you. Smoking pot, drinking doing all the things that you came out of the world not supposed to be doing and not realizing who it is that lives inside of you. It's not a condemnation. It's just for us to begin to realize, oh, wait a minute. It's not just me anymore. God's inside of me. And I don't want to bring God into this mess, into this darkness. I want to get out of the darkness and come into the light. But if Christ is in you, although the body is dead because of sin, the spirit is life because of righteousness. If the spirit of him who raised Christ from the dead dwells in you, he who raised Christ Jesus from the dead. Do you hear that? If the spirit of him who raised Jesus from the dead dwells in you, and again, if you're born again, the spirit of God lives inside of you, then he who raised Jesus Christ from the dead will also give life to your mortal bodies through his spirit who dwells in you. What I'm trying to get us to see today is that becoming a Christian is not about simply attending a church. It's not about getting your name on a membership card. It's not about doing the rituals of church life. It's not about getting baptized. It's not about uh, taking communion because you can do all that and not know God. To enter the kingdom of God, a person must be born again. As we have seen, when we call out to God in faith for salvation, He forgives us of all our sins, cleanses us, and most importantly, through divine grace, prepares us to become the abode of the Holy Spirit. In this miracle of salvation, God Himself takes up residence in our lives as the Holy Spirit comes into our hearts to indwell us. It's God's presence in our lives that gives us life and life more abundantly. John 1 and 4 says, In Him was life and the life was the light of men. John 10, 10 through 11, the thief comes only to steal, kill, and destroy. I have come that they may have life and life more abundantly, life and life to the full. I am the good shepherd. The good shepherd lays down his life for the sheep. 
Romans 1, 16 through 17, Paul says, I am not ashamed of the gospel, for it is the power of God to the salvation to everyone who believes. How do I get saved? How do I get born again? You've got to believe. You've got to put your faith in what Jesus did for you. To the Jew first and also to the Greek. We can also say to the white man and to the Mexican man and the black man and to the Asian man. It don't matter who you are. And we can do that with women and we can do that with children. All of us who are willing to believe it is the power of God for the salvation of anyone. We all come from the same man and the same woman. If you realize that, racism would go out the door. Sorry, I got off on a tangent. Let me get back. For in it, in the gospel, the righteousness of God is revealed from faith, for faith, by faith, for faith, in faith, out of faith. As it is written, the righteous shall live by faith. Or another translation says, by faith the righteous shall live. Ephesians 2, 8 and 9. For by grace you have been saved through faith, that not of your own doing, it is the gift of God, not as a result of works, so that no one may boast. Romans 10, 13. Everyone who calls on the name of the Lord shall be saved. Another translation said, whoever calls on the name of the Lord shall be saved. I found that one day, Anna Jo was telling my testimony. It's nice when you can give a testimony and not even talk. I was a whoever. God, will you save me? I need you. I was a whoever. He didn't ask me how old I was. He didn't ask me how young I was. He didn't ask me what colored skin my skin was. He didn't ask me what gender I was. He didn't ask me how good I was. He didn't ask me how bad I was. I said, Lord, are you there? And he said, yes, I am. Because this whoever needs you. And he said, I'm here. You called on me. You're faithful. I'm faithful to answer. If you're here today, it don't matter where you're at. It doesn't matter what you've done. Whoever calls on the name of God, you don't know what I've done. It's not about what you've done. It's about what he's done. There's no sin that he don't know. There's no sin that he's not aware of. There's nothing in your life that's going to surprise him. He's omniscient. He knows everything. All he's waiting for is for his sons and daughters. His, 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 uh, his uh, what's the right word here? His um, lost, his uh, wayward sons and daughters to call home and say, I want to come home. Will you receive me? And God says, oh, I've already made the way. I've prepared the door. I've prepared the room. I've prepared the house. I'm ready for you to come home. Well, I'm sorry. I'm sorry for the way I've lived. I'm sorry for what I've done. I know I've sinned against you, God. But will you forgive me? Yes, I forgive you. Not only will I forgive you, I said, I will fill your temple. I will fill your house with my presence because you are my child. You are my son and daughter. And that son of mine, that daughter of mine that was lost because you've called upon me, now uh, you've come home and we're going to celebrate together. All the angels of God will celebrate because uh, you are a new creation in Christ. Old things have passed away. All things will become new. Are you hearing what I'm saying? So it doesn't matter where you are. It doesn't matter what you've done. If you're whoever, you can call on the name of the Lord and you shall be saved. And you might say to yourself, well, I used to walk with God. Then what you need is you need to repent. If you confess your sins, he's faithful and just to forgive you of sins and to cleanse you of all unrighteousness. It's not about your sin. It's about his faithfulness. 
No matter where you've done, no matter what you've done, if you'll just come to him. And so it doesn't matter if you've never been saved. It doesn't matter if you've, if you've gone astray. If you're not where you need to be, the presence of the Holy Spirit is moving through this place, moving through those cameras. The conviction of God is not the condemnation, but the conviction of God. Because sometimes we need to be aware that we're wrong. I want to tell you something. Sometimes me and my wife, we have a little bit of a negotiation time. And I'm convinced she's wrong. And it takes a little while for the Holy Spirit to convince me that I was wrong. Oh, God. <laughs> and once I got convinced that I'm wrong, I got to go back and say, I'm so sorry. And does she forgive me? She always forgives me. Right? Okay, put the skillet down. No, just kidding. I said, I'm sorry. So if you're here today, the Lord is here. It's not about answering to the preacher. It's about the Spirit of God that's moving through the house today. It's not about getting right with me or getting right with the church. It's about getting right with him. That whether you ever come to this church or not has nothing to do with that. It has everything to do about entering to the kingdom of heaven. I trust that I've done a good enough job presenting to you the gospel this morning. We are all lost without Christ. The only way that we can have reconciliation with God is through the work that Jesus Christ did on the cross of Calvary. The wages of sin is death. But the gift of God is eternal life. Well, why can I receive that gift? Because Jesus paid your price. He paid the debt that you owe. Well, I'm debt-free, not until you call upon him. The Bible says it's there. Whoever calls upon the name of the Lord shall be saved, but you have to call. What does it mean to call? You've got to believe that Jesus died for you and Jesus is alive. And you've got to give your life to God. You've got to accept him, not just as Savior. You've got to accept him as Lord. He, he, he lives that I may live in him. If you'll call on him today, I promise you that God is faithful to, this, to his word. He will meet you where you're at.